we, as a general rule, don't eat much on Sunday mornings because we know there's always good food here. But um, we went to the box, and Hope went to the box, and she said, well, I thought we had two things in there because we were each going to eat one. I just remembered. We did have two yesterday. This was the other one right here. <laughs> I invite you to open your Bibles with me, please, to Philippians chapter 3. A number of weeks ago, I kind of put out a, in my own mind and on paper, projected plan uh, how to work through the remainder of the book of Philippians and uh, have a special message for um, the 27th of July. And so I've been working through all that, and I've come to the realization that um, there's absolutely no way we're going to get through the whole book of Philippians. And so uh, I'm kind of uh, selecting different uh, passages for us to look at uh, this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday. And then on the 20th, uh, Hope and I will not be here We'll be back in New York State uh, with our family. We're having a family reunion with our three girls and their husbands and kids. First time in about four years. So it is four years. So we're pretty excited about that. And uh, we got a picture on phone the other day that our certificate of occupancy has been granted. So uh, our little home that's connected with our daughter's house uh, is going to be habitable, and that's good because we really needed it to serve as a hotel uh, for all our kids. So uh, we will not be here on the 20th, but on the 27th we'll be back, and you'll be hearing more about this, but uh, we'll be having, uh, of course, dependent on the vote today, but uh, we'll be having um, the passing of the shepherd's staff to uh, our pastor. And that's going to be a very, very exciting time. I got the shepherd staff just the other day from a gentleman here in Seneca. And he had about 100 of them hanging. And that's literally 100 shepherd staffs hanging that he's prepared. And so I was looking through them, and one immediately caught my eye. And I said, uh, is this one available? He said, yes, it is. Any one you want. So I took it off, and I said, this is perfect. And uh, it's being prepared now uh, for that day. And uh, he, uh, he, when I took it off, he said, this is Michigan Schumach. That was, that's the wood, but it's not poisonous. Don't worry about it. it. It will not pass anything on like poison ivy or poison sumac. But uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful staff and will be passed on to our next pastor. So it's been exciting, and it's been really neat to see what God has done and what he's doing. And I was talking to somebody this morning. I just want to mention this now, and then we'll get right into the message. Um, Over the last 20 months, we have fallen in love with you, and you have fallen in love with us. And we, we understand that. But do not let your joy for what's right around the corner be suppressed 
okay? Because what has, has taken place is all of God. And, and we've talked about it uh, different times. Uh, it's going to be uh, bittersweet, but it's going to be a whole lot more sweet than bitter. And, you know, this is something that we've been praying for, we've been working for, we've been trusting God for, for 20 months. And now it's happening. And so uh, don't think that by really being excited about John and Katie uh, uh, coming, that that's going to hurt us. It won't. Okay? We're rejoicing with you. And so don't let your joy and your expressions of joy be suppressed, thinking, well, uh, Len and Hope are going to be hurt by that. We will not be hurt by it. Okay? We are rejoicing with you for all that God has done. And that last song was, was perfect. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your word. We ask that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're looking at turning toward joy, discovering a joy that circumstances cannot change. And this morning we're looking at the joy of victory from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. And I'm going to read those verses as we begin now. Paul is writing to the Philippian believers, and he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we think of different people, and the concept of victory, one of the persons that comes to my mind is the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi. And I have a statement of his here. I'm not going to read this statement, but he, he points out, in order to be victorious on the football field, it requires a tremendous amount of commitment a, a tremendous amount of dedication, and not just mental knowledge, but being in it with your whole heart. And he talks about those players who are not only smart as far as when it comes to playing the game, but those who, who love and have a passion for it. And you see these two things come together. And, and those kind of players... Sure, they may get beat in a particular game, but they will always come off the field victorious. And 
uh, it's quite a statement that, that Lombardi has, and, and you will find this statement on the walls of many locker rooms uh, throughout the country. But you know, as we look here at Philippians chapter 3, Paul sets forth for us the path of victory. And he points out the joy of victory. And he spells it out very clearly here, and really uh, with great power, because it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, this victorious path that brings honor and glory to God. As your insert states, under Timeless Truths for Today, as Paul looked over his shoulder at his past, he made an honest evaluation. As he looked forward to his future, he charted out some lofty goals. Most of all, he set out a strategy that had immediate impact on his present lifestyle. His message is strong. His challenge needs to be prominently displayed in the locker room of our souls. He talks about the liabilities of the past, continuing with your insert. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when the life-changing event took place. All of his values were reversed. The things that had been important to him were no longer of any consequence. And let's notice how Paul describes this life-changing event. We read about it in verses 7 and 8. We see here an honest evaluation. Paul is talking about gain. He, he speaks of gain, those things that were gain to him. He discovered that all those things that were previously gain to him actually became liabilities. And they were things, as we noted uh, a couple of weeks ago, that these things needed to be placed from the asset column to the liability column, and they all added up to a gigantic zero. All those things that were important to him, and all those things that he lived for, and all those things that to him in the previous, prior to knowing Christ, were gain, those things became loss. And he refers to that again here in these verses. Now, the only other place, to my knowledge, that we find this word loss found in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is on a ship, and the ship is in the middle of a storm, and the ship is about to go down, and so Paul is, is spoken to by the Lord directly. He was an apostle. God spoke to him and, and told him, Paul, you will be saved, the ship will be saved if you do what I tell you to do. One of the things they had to do was throw all their cargo overboard. Now, those things were considered of great gain, of great value. This grain was going to be sold and make a lot of money for somebody. But you know what they had to do? All those things that were gain, they had to throw them overboard. All that cargo was, became loss. But by doing that, their lives were saved. And a very, this is a perfect analogy of what Paul is talking about. All those things that were important to him, all those things that were gained to him, they had to be thrown overboard. And they had to become loss in order that his righteousness would be based on the person of Christ rather than on his own uh, very, very worthless 
efforts. And then Paul talks about the word count. He uses the word count here three times in verses 7 and 8. And the word count here is actually speaking about evaluating something or considering something. And he points out that those things that were gained to him in the past were lost to him in the present because of Christ and because of the importance of knowing and resting only in the person of Christ. And he had to count these things. He counted them. He evaluated them. He considered them loss in order to know Christ. And then he goes on even more descriptively, and he refers to those things in which he trusted in the past as rubbish. Now, uh, about the only time you hear the word rubbish anymore is if you're listening to an announcer from England. And uh, it is kind of interesting. I don't know how many of you are following the, the FIFA World Cup. Um, <clears throat> our team got knocked out in the first two, first two games. Uh, Spain just got totally annihilated. Our team, other than the United States, of course. And, and the United States is looking pretty good. They're, they're, they have a big match on Tuesday, I think it is. Well, um, you hear these guys talk, and they're using words like nil and uh, pitch and all that kind of stuff. We say field. We say zero. And, and they'll use words like rubbish. Well, rubbish, what, what is rubbish? When, when Paul is speaking here, what is he talking about? Well, uh, not to be gross or, or uncouth, but literally the word speaks about excrement. It speaks about dung. Or it also refers to that which is given to the dogs, the leftovers. But in either case, Paul is saying, all those things that, that I trusted in, those things are lost. And not only are they lost, these things are rubbish. They are worthless. They are of no value. And so Paul moves from the liabilities of the past to the possibilities of the future. And we see that again in verse 9, and, and I'll read this just by way of reminder. He says, And may be found in him that is in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul is speaking here about the possibilities of the future. And he is moving from a righteousness, in his own words, that is derived from the law. In other words, my work, my efforts, anything I can do to make myself right with God. He is moving from that to a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul had found and had discovered by way of salvation and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his life that all those things that he did, all his efforts, all his good works were of no value. And the only way he could be righteous the only way he could not only live a life glorifying to God, and the only way he could have a heart right with God was through the righteousness which comes from God through faith in Christ. And that is a world of difference. Now, as Paul contemplates the possibilities of the future, he really sets forth some lofty goals here. The first one is found in verses uh, 10 and 11. 
The first one is knowing the person of Christ. Knowing the person of Christ. Let's think about that for a moment. We all know, and you've heard me say this before, there's a huge difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. Would you agree with that? And uh, we, we shared that with the, the kids a couple weeks ago. Uh, they know about Miguel Cabrera, but they don't know him. Uh, we know about some of the guys that play on our USA team, uh, but we don't know them. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Knowing the person of Christ. Paul knew a whole lot about God. He knew a whole lot about the law, but when he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, it passed from knowing about all these good things to knowing the person of Christ. You know, it it is sad to have to say this, but I really believe there are a lot of people, a lot of people who are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. 18 inches. Because that's about the distance from the brain to the heart. It's the difference between knowing about God and the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing his person. It's the whole difference right there. And Paul, he knew everything, man. He was taught by the the greatest teacher of the day. He was taught by Gamaliel. And yet he says, yeah, I, I knew all about that, but now I know him. I know him. And that was his goal, to know Christ. And that is a goal that he and we are to be committed to our entire lifetimes. We know Christ initially through faith in him when he, by his grace, saves us and brings us into his family. But knowing Christ is growing in him as well. And we, we have a beautiful couple here. It's going to be married uh, at the end of camp. They're waiting until the end of camp. They're getting married the same day camp ends. Man, that's unbelievable, isn't it? I I admire that. I was talking to Danae, and I said, now, are you working at camp right up? No, 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 I'm not working at camp that week. Because I remember what we went through with our three girls. But, you know, they they are going to know each other as, as they don't know each other now when they get married. But 40 years down the road, they're going to really know each other. That's not bad. That's a good thing. I'm speaking good, man. You know, uh, we, we know Christ. And, and just think of the day that God in his grace saved you. Think about that day. Think about how you knew him then. And it was sweet, wasn't it? Think about how you know him now. That, that knowledge has, has matured. It has increased. And the same is true in a marriage. Oh man, we, we start all, ah, we're so excited and, and this and that, and we should be. But that love, that knowledge grows and matures and goes through some tough times. 
goes through times of rejoicing, goes through times of pain, doesn't it? And that's what makes it so precious. And Paul's talking here, not just initially knowing Christ, but growing in that knowledge of Him, a lofty goal for certain. And then he talks about knowing the power of Christ. And the power of Christ, this is something we could talk about forever as well. The power of Christ in the past, the power of Christ in the present, the power of Christ in the future, the power of Christ in the past where he saved us and, and brought us out of death into life. That day he saved us. And now the power of Christ in the present where we walk with him and he enables us through his power and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. He enables us to increasingly have victory over sin and victory over temptation and to become more and more like Christ. That's the power of Christ in our lives in the present. And then the power of Christ in the future where this old body is going to be shed, it's going to be removed, and we will, in our soul spirit, be living with him forever and ever. And it's the power of Christ in the future that will make that possible. So, Paul has the lofty goal of knowing the person of Christ, and then knowing the power of Christ, and then he talks about the passion of Christ knowing the passion of Christ. And this verse, Philippians 3.10, is actually my life verse. It's a verse when I was in Bible college that I chose as my life verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. And that was Paul, and that was his passion, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. What's Paul talking about there? Paul is talking about really identifying with his Savior and Lord, being totally committed to him and the suffering that comes along with that. If we are really committed to Christ, it's not going to be all cherries with no pits. If we are really committed to Christ, it's not going to be uh, an, an easy road. It will be a glorious road because he'll be with us. But we will go through experiences and, and pass through difficult times that we would not pass through if we were not believers. Let me just very quickly give an illustration. When, when I was in basic training in the Army, I can guarantee you life was a whole lot more difficult because I was a Christian than it would have been if I were not. Now, that might not make a lot of sense. And, and I stated that to my dad uh, when I was on a bit of a break between basic and advanced training. And I just mentioned it to him, and, and it kind of scared him, and I didn't know that till after the fact, because I wasn't saying I was thrown in the towel on being a believer. I just said to him, Dad, life would be a whole lot easier in the Army if I weren't a Christian. Because you're going to suffer for the name of Christ. Wherever we are, in your work, in the school, uh, in your families, your extended families, there, there's more suffering involved 
because you are a believer and you stand firmly for Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's going to happen. And he, he knew that and he identified with that. And he, in the right sense, he welcomed it. And even the difficulties that we go through because of the fact that we're believers, we just know he's with us and he's going to take us through it. We can be sure of it. Then Paul talks about knowing the praise of Christ. Verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now what's he talking about here? Is he talking about working for his salvation? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking here about the day that he will stand before God and the importance of being prepared. That's why I shared what I did with the kids this morning. The importance of being prepared and knowing the praise of Christ. You know, there's, there are three f- statements <clears throat> that Paul makes that, that have always been a great blessing to me. Listen to these these statements that Paul makes, one earlier on in his life, one later in his life, and then another near the end of his life. And I'll give them to you in that order. Listen to this. First of all, I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That was something that he said earlier on in his life and ministry. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Later on in his life and ministry, he said this. He described himself in Ephesians 3.8 as the very least of all saints. So he, removed, he, he moves from the, the idea of being an apostle. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. I persecuted the church. And then later on in his life, the more he got to know Christ, he says, I'm the least of all saints. And then listen to what he wrote right near the end of his life. As he got to know Christ more, this is what he said. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. You see that? Apostle, saint, sinner. The more he got to know Christ, the more he realized it was all grace. All of it. And you know, it is. Our whole, our whole life, everything is all of grace. And we will not be in heaven one day because of anything we did. We will be in heaven one day because of the grace of God. And so when Paul talks here about not attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He is not talking here about working, 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 working to make sure that he will be acceptable to God. He's already made very clear that there is a righteousness that we try to work up that's never good enough, and there's a righteousness that comes to us from God through faith in Christ. So he's already settled that one. But he does uh, make an emphasis on this 
throughout his different writings, he tells us that we will stand before God. He talks about the resurrection from the dead. Listen to this beautiful passage from 1 Corinthians 15. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. You know, that's a great sign to put above the nursery. Okay? We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. All right, more serious. (laughs) Paul is saying, we will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. What he's saying is, we're not all going to die. And Paul said that. How much more should we believe that? We're not all going to die. Some of us are going to be changed. We're going to be raptured. I live for that, don't you? Man, I'll admit it. I don't mind not going through the valley of the shadow of death. I'd rather not. I'm honest. I'd rather be raptured. I'd rather not be left uh, if my wife dies. I'd rather not leave her if I die. I'd rather we all live, we lived together as long as the Lord has that happen and that we get raptured at the same time. I'd be perfectly fine with that. Anybody in my corner with that? Okay. So, you know, but Paul says, we will not all sleep, we'll all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. Paul's talking about the day when Jesus Christ raptures us and takes us to be with him. And you know, we have this in our doctrinal statement, in our constitution, I believe this with all my heart, that that moment could take place any time. Any time. And then Paul talks about, I won't take the time to read it, but he talks about it also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He talks about the same event. And and at the end of that passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, at the end of that passage he says, therefore, this is all going to happen. Comfort one another with these words. Don't scare the liver out of it. That's not what happens when we really understand the truth of the future. It gives us comfort and peace and joy. Now, I want to end with with, uh, something that really, this is very, very, very important. Paul makes it real clear He's not going to stand before God someday because of all the things he did or all the things he did not do. It's all of grace, all of grace. But we will be given rewards. The Bible makes this clear. We will be given rewards based on our faithfulness. Now, that faithfulness is not going to be a comparative thing. It's not going to be, uh, well, if Mangano led more people to faith in Christ than Fulano did. Doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with being faithful to what God gives us to do, whatever that is. And it will be different for every one of us here. But you know, the rewards is one thing, but our eternal destiny is another. And we really need to have that clear. Let me just share a few verses, and you want to jot them down if you've ever struggled with this. Uh, feel free to do that. Our eternal destiny is written and can never be revoked. 
because it's based on the word and work of God through Christ. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. And he wants to make it real clear, but have eternal life. John 3.16. That's a verse probably every one of us here can quote. But you know, there's truth in that verse, beautiful truth, where when we come to faith in Christ, we will not perish. We'll die physically if we haven't been raptured. But we will live forever with him. It's a done deal. And then Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has, H-A-S, present tense, has eternal life. And Jesus wanted to make it real clear. And will not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Isn't that beautiful? And, you know, um, I did terribly in math and science in school. First one to say it. But Hope, she did super with math and science. I'm better with the languages. And has is a present tense verb. Whenever you read John 5, 24, it's going to say has. It's a possession we have. We have eternal life. And we will not come into condemnation. We have passed from death to life. Another beautiful passage, John 10, 28 and 29. Jesus is speaking again. And he talks there about how he and the Father are one. And then he says this, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. When we're in Christ, it, does not, it is not dependent on our, our holding on to him. Aren't you glad? It's dependent on his holding on to us. And he says, no one can pluck them you, us, out of my Father's hand. What a precious truth. When you were kids, you ever play that game where somebody had something in his hand, you try to pry the hand open to get it out? You ever play that? We used to play that a lot. Then when you get smart, you start tickling them, and then they open his hand, you know? But, you know, we're in the Father's hand. No one can pluck us out of his hand. And then Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Precious truths. So, laboring for the Lord, being true and faithful to the Lord for the purpose of receiving reward is one thing, which Paul talks about. Being faithful to what God gives us to do. The other, our eternal destiny, it's done. It's sealed. We're his forever. Praise his name. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths we find in it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us. And Lord, I pray that everyone in this room this morning would have that confidence that they are in you and you are in them. 
And Lord, that you have sealed them and saved them forever. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any doubts about that, really want to encourage you to talk with, with me or someone else with whom you have confidence. And just make sure your heart is right with God through faith in Christ.